We welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me, as always, is Brad Hallier. And Brad, we kind of wrapped up a really, really busy time of the year. We actually didn't get to record last week right after all of the, the, the state track meets and the baseball and softball, everything kind of wrapping up. I know we've got the summer leagues and stuff going, but it was a, it was a rat race there for a couple of weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The the spring rush is unlike anything else, Scott. Um, I mean, that last week, uh, the, the week of state track, you know, not only do you have track, you have soccer, baseball, softball, and I think golf also on Monday and Tuesday. So yeah. you've got you have five state championships being contested, and literally the only day off from Monday to Saturday is Wednesday. Yeah, it really is. And um I'm trying to recall if they ever have used that Wednesday. I don't think they have unless the impending weather was certainly coming in. They started a day early, but yeah, busy, busy, busy time. Um, we're going to get into the, the schedules right now, but you kind of brought that up. Do you think there's any possibility this has come up in a few cases that they start to schedule these differently i know there was at least one or two instances where there was uh girls that were on the softball and track team and had to choose one or the other do you think there's a a a chance they start spacing those schedules out a little bit so there could be somebody that could compete in both of those events well i covered mcclough in their first round softball win over uh hillsborough and their ace pitcher uh, went to go compete in a, I think a, a preliminary or something like that over on uh, Friday. And she didn't get back to Pratt for the semifinals until 20 minutes before the game started. Mm. And then I don't know if you saw what happened with that girl from Olathe Northwest. She was their, uh, one of their best pitchers and they got upset in the semifinals. And she was also like a really good thrower. And so they told her to uh, – the softball coach essentially said, hey, go go win yourself a state championship. I mean, you can't win one here, so go win yourself one. Well, she gets down there, and they told her she couldn't compete because she wasn't scratched from the discus. And when you weren't – or maybe it was a javelin. And because she wasn't scratched, she was thereby disqualified from competing in any of the events. Uh, yeah, so she drove all that way for nothing. And to answer your question, Scott, I honestly think – that state track should be the weekend after all of these other state events. Not a bad idea. I mean, you'd have to come back after, you know, Memorial day, which right. I know would be the big thing. We, there was one, it seems like there was one year when Memorial day was real early and uh, state baseball and all that was after that weekend, but that's the only time I remember that. So I know you'd get some pushback on that, but I, I just wonder if it is a real possibility at some point. Yeah, I think, um, it, you know, the, the, these athletes who dual sport in the, in the spring and do track, um, I mean, there's going to come a time, I, I, Scott, where something like this happens where they may have to choose one or the other, and it's going to cost somebody uh, a potential state championship or something like that. Yeah, it really is, and especially, like you said, with, with the pitcher, just say they had uh, – uh, won the semifinal game. I know. Then what do you do? I mean, that you know, you, you could be pitching for a state championship in softball or throwing for a state championship in track. I mean, you just hate to make these kids have to choose. Yeah, that's that's there by the biggest problem. I think is uh, they have to choose. I mean, I, I remember one year a, a girl from I want to say like Junction City or Manhattan or something like that. Um, competed in, in state uh track and then had to go play in state soccer up in topeka and literally took a helicopter from <laughs> from wichita to topeka to uh to compete so uh i guess that's for t- kind of times call for desperate measures who is this Dion sanders or what are we doing yeah here? evidently <laughs> when he was doing that with the braves and the falcons back in the day and um, they get from the world series to the falcons game or vice versa i think it was but um I guess maybe if you didn't want to do that, and I don't see this really as a real possibility, but possibly moving track into Monday and Tuesday, but I do not think that would go over. No, probably not. Um, Maybe the only other possibility I can possibly see is running all the preliminaries, essentially moving Friday, Saturday to Saturday, Sunday. That would, yeah, yeah, that would be a possibility. And then of course, 
you know, if you're being a pessimist about it, well, what happens if you have weather at softball, baseball, and then that's pushed into Saturday, so you're back in the same same, same predicament. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see that. I'm sure that's something that uh, Keisha will be discussing during their off-season meetings and everything. Uh, so let's let's dive in. We won't spend a lot of time at the upper class level um, for the state baseball and softball and boys. 6A baseball, it was a battle of Blue Valley's west and north, and it was uh, Blue Valley West uh, winning the 6A state championship at 20 and 5, and in 5A, let me switch pages here, it was uh, Bishop Carroll, a little bit more local school, uh, beating DeSoto 7-6 in the final, Bishop Carroll ended up 24 and one. Any thoughts there on the, the bigger classes? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, you know, the blue Valley district right now just seems to be absolutely loaded with baseball talent right now. And I want to say blue Valley Southwest, who I think is a five, a power uh, coached by former KU coach, Rick Sabbath actually. And so, uh, you know, blue Valley just seems to have it going on in five. A. Uh, I think it was a rare state championship in baseball for Carroll. Um, I'm not sure how many they've won. They haven't won many, though. So uh, I know it's easy to, you know, oh, there you go, another private school. But actually, Carroll has not won that many uh, state championships in baseball. Yeah, well, uh, that might be a good um, summer podcast for us to get into the the private versus public schools and the disproportionate amount of state titles. It would probably be too much to tackle in a, a regular podcast. So we'll maybe put that on the the summer list um, to, to discuss that. But I, I think it certainly warrants discussion, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And it's uh, it's not going to go away. And down into 4A, I had a certain interest in this, Brad, as I covered quite a bit of the Mac Bullpup season during the regular season. And, you know, you and I talked about this when we were previewing them. They were sitting down at that three seed. We both thought Clay Center was very weak as a one seed and they didn't get past Chanute. They actually lost one, nothing. And McPherson goes on and runs the table. Their closest game was actually their first game against Larnard eight to three. Then they beat Payola nine, two, and then smoke Chanute six, nothing in the championship. And so that's back to back for the bullpups. Yeah. Coach Gerstner uh, went Johnny bullpen actually in the first round. And he limited their pitch counts to the point where they could come back. I think, I don't know if they could all throw the maximum number of pitches the next day, but he essentially limited their pitches to something like 30, I, I want to say. So, uh, and I, th- I want to say Larned actually had a 3 2 lead in that game, maybe about midway through. And I was talking to the sports guy from the McPherson Sentinel. He was like, you know, it's one of those things you kind of take a chance on. And if it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't, uh, you know, you got a lot of explaining to do. But in this case, it just paid off great for Gerstner. Uh, again, he went to Johnny Bullpen in the first game, and they won 8-3, and then just annihilated uh, Paola and Chanute in, in uh, the, the semifinals and the finals. I scored them collectively 15-2. to Well, they were certainly, you know, I said, seeing them a lot this year, they were very deep, too, um, with pitchers. Hunter Alvord, we, we know about him. Great player. Actually, I'm going to be doing some of the Newton Rebel games this summer summer league team and he's actually on that team so i'm going to get a little um, bonus look at him but yeah that's a we knew with the deep pitching staff just solid up and down the lineup that they were uh, certainly a chance to repeat and they did just that and down in 3a here we go back with the uh, private schools brad wichita collegiate uh, they were number one most of the year ranked in class 3a they ended up beating uh, columbus six to four in the championship after just getting by humboldt nine eight and sabetha in the first round three one but there's collegiate um hoisting the hardware once again in baseball yeah i saw collegiate last year they were really really young i saw them beat haven in uh in regional play in the semifinals and i think collegiate's they either lost in the regional finals or they made it to state loss in the first round. But I just remember seeing the, how young they were. And I pretty much said, they're going to win state next year. I mean, there's just no <laughs> doubt about it. I mean, they're just filled with, filled with sophomores and juniors. And uh, they obviously came back and, uh, you know, they, they did just that. 
Yeah, again, I got to see them when they played McPherson this year, and I, I thought the same thing. It was a battle at that time of the top-ranked teams in 3A and 4A. Um, they had a solid lineup, good pitching. There, there was no reason to think they weren't going to be here, and sure enough, they win once again in Class 3A. I was at Class 2-1A, Brad, covering both Little River and Marion, and unfortunately for both of those schools, we knew this when we looked at the bracket, um, Pittsburgh Colgan, Brad, this was their 50th appearance in the state baseball tournament, and this was their 21st title um, this season. They they beat Little River in the opening game 12-5. to Little River just had a terrible first inning of that ball game, and just tried to play catch up the whole game. And then Marion, boy, Brad, they played really well, beating Sedgwick 10-5 and then Elkhart 16-8. But again, they got down early, as Colgan did on all of their opponents in this tournament. Maybe Little River 12-5, Onega 10-0. And then actually this was a run rule in six innings, 13-3 over Marion uh, in the state championship. But Roger Schroeder, a great coach over there. Had had his team close. Again, just got behind early and couldn't catch up. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is an, maybe another topic as well for another day, Scott. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of I'm, I'm kind of bothered that they see these teams strictly ba- based on record. And uh, Colgan plays a pretty tough schedule. And not, not only do they play in that southeastern Kansas League with a lot of good teams like, you know, Columbus and Baxter Springs, but, but they play like Joplin, Missouri, which I think is maybe in the biggest classification in Missouri. They play Webb City, I think. I mean, they, they, they play a tough schedule. Um, and they obviously know, kind of like a Miesian soccer, they know that playing that tough schedule, when they get to state, uh, there's going to be nothing that they haven't seen already. Uh, I don't know how you would see the, these teams accordingly. Um and I'm not even saying I would have I would have had Pittsburgh as uh, or Pittsburgh Colgan as the number one seed, but seeing them as the bottom seed, it was it was almost laughable, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it, when you watched him go out there and play, you're just you're you're looking at that twelve and eleven record, and we and then we knew it was uh, an inflated record as far as the losses on the sky. I think four of their losses were to out of state schools, as you already alluded to. Um, I don't want to say they were hands down overwhelmingly the best team at 2-1-A, but they were clearly the best team. Um, you know, Elkhart came in with just one loss. Um, Marion beat them by eight runs. Um, you know, Little River was ranked number one, I think, I think all season. And, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you do it. Keisha's always done it strictly by record, but – um, that came down. Little River and Elkhart actually had a, a coin flip, and I believe that um, Little River lost the toss, so Elkhart got to choose the seed, and they they said, "Oh, we'll take the two seed." <laughs> Can you blame them? <laughs> no, no, that I, I would have done the same thing. Yep. The coaches told me from Little River, was, uh, they said, "Yeah, we lost the toss," and I started thinking, "How did you lose the? T- oh, Elkhart got to choose. That's how you lost the toss." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but again, we'll we'll dive into this more when we can tackle the issue of the private versus the the public schools. But 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 there does need to be some changes, seating wise, and just just the classifying wise. I think to even the playing field a little bit more. I'd also like to see some change from the perspective of some better venues. I think I brought this up before, but we've got an MLS park in in the state of Kansas, we don't, and we don't use it for high school. And I've said this before, but you know, my son's going to be a senior at Beeler next year and uh, they'll have a team good enough to compete for a state championship. And you know, how cool it would be for him to play his final soccer games at sporting parking or at children's mercy park in KCK. There's nothing wrong with striker in Wichita. It's a great facility, but you got these, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they got where the Monarchs play in Kansas city. You got some great facilities. Just wish they would start using them more. Yeah, I, I don't know if it comes down to the cost of securing the facility or, or what it does, but you, you would like to see some some of those changes be made to where, like you said, give these kids a, a, a different and unique experience at state would, would be really nice. Um, we'll go over into softball again. We won't spend a lot of time 
um, up at the top classes that we don't see very often. Girls class 6A, it was Olathe West um, defeating Washburn Rural out of Topeka, 10-0 Olathe West, uh, 24-1 and this season. Um, in class 5A, Brad, it's a school a little bit closer, goes back-to-back as back Valley Center um, defeats Goddard Eisenhower 16-8 to in the championship. So Valley Center back-to-back state softball titles. And down in class 4A, me to the right page, over in Salina, this was an interesting one, Brad, because there was some Big storms moved through on the first day that Thursday evening that delayed um, some of the games in Salina. They do have turf out at Bill Burke, but still had it was just pouring. Uh, we had a couple of area teams there, McPherson and Andale Garden Plain. Andale Garden Plain didn't get out of the first round loss to Eudora. 12 to 2. McPherson ends up making it all the way to the championship. They had to go 12 innings. To, to beat Fort Scott three to two, um, then beat Clearwater five four, and then fell in a pitcher's duel to Wamigo, one to nothing. Do you think that opening game uh, went twelve innings? Did that have any effect at all? You think on McPherson maybe maybe running out of a little bit of gas in the end? Uh, I, you know it's hard to say. Uh, it, it it doesn't appear so, at least from a pitching perspective. Um, boy, what 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 a weekend to be a McPherson uh, fan, especially on the softball. <laughs> I mean, those, those poor softball fans, uh, three one run games and one went twelve innings. I mean, uh, those, those poor kid, uh, people had to probably had to check their blood pressure by the time the, the weekend ended. But uh, Wilmington is obviously a great program. They have a high quality pitcher and uh, definitely deserve to, to win the state championship. Yeah, where is she going? She's going to Division One, isn't she? Yeah, she is going D one, and I can't. Re- is it like Southern Miss or something like that? I, I can't remember exactly. So it wasn't like they uh, <laughs> just could, t- couldn't get hits against a so-so pitcher. I mean, they, they ran up against uh, a, an ace, a D1 girl. We apologize. I don't remember. Too many names have gone through my head. But, yeah, that was a, a great effort by McPherson as they come out uh, runners up in Class 4A softball. In Class 3A, Brad, uh, <laughs> it's uh, – Different year, kind of same story for the Haven Lady Wildcats. Here they are again. They come in as the one seed, just blast Scott Community 17-2, to two, and then ran into a buzzsaw on Santa Fe Trail and lost 2 to nothing. And Santa Fe Trail went on and fell to Rossville in the championship. Haven did bounce back and win 8-3 over Southeast of Saline to take home third. But that uh, state championship, Bradford Haven, it just continues to just be out of their reach. The trophy case is filling up for Haven softball. It's just the trophies that they don't necessarily want to win. Uh, but, boy, that, that game against Santa Fe Trail, I was listening to it on the radio, uh, Santa Fe Trail's ace pitcher is going to KU next year. And uh, freshman Avery Bronner just went toe-to-toe with her. Actually, that game went eight innings. And the aforementioned girl from uh, Santa Fe Trail, who's going to KU, ended up hitting a two-run home run to win that game in the top of the inning. So, but but to heck, you know, if you're someone like uh, Ashworth and you know your freshman is going out there toe to toe, throwing up goose eggs with a girl who's going to Kansas, uh, you know, look, Haven didn't go up there to finish third or second. They they went up there to win a state championship. But at the same time, I think uh, there's probably a little bit of pride in in finishing third. you know, again, with with what Santa Fe Trail had, and of course Rossville, who uh, beat Silver Lake. Uh, you know that that that's just who seems like a wins it every year is uh, Silver Lake. So, uh, but yeah, they just they're so close to, to kicking in that proverbial door. Yeah, and the, and they'll have a lot of that team back. I mean, they'll lose some some players, but there's a lot of younger girls on that team. There's no reason to think that they can't be back, maybe in that same position next year. Am, am I correct in that? Yeah, I think they started th- – I, I, don't hold me to this. I want to say they started three freshmen. And, of course, they got Sadie Estill coming back next year. Uh, Sadie, I think, batted well over 600 this year. So, uh, I do know that the seniors that they are losing, three or four of them, were, were longtime you know, letter winners. So, it, it, it'll be tough to replace those. But at the same time, I mean, just kind of like with Haven and 
pretty much every sport, it seems like, oh, they'll be a little bit down next year. And the next thing you'll know that they, they've won 17, 18 games again. Yeah, I just hopefully one of these years it's going to be that magical year and Haven will break through with that first state title. Well, you were in Pratt the opening day of the two 1A state softball championships. A lot of excitement there in the first inning for the uh, the big underdog Hillsboro. They were taking on undefeated McLeod. They actually led that game. You texted me. They got two runs in the first inning, and it was only, what was it, the uh, 10th and 11th runs of the season or 11th and 12th that McLeod had allowed? Well, it was the last runs of the tournament as well. <laughs> Um, as they went on to beat Hillsborough 9-2, El Saline 10-0, and St. Mary 3-0 in the championships. So uh, Hillsborough gave it, gave it a good go early, but as uh, McLeod did all year, they dominated. Yeah, and uh, just some of the numbers for uh, Hill, or for uh, McLeod were just ridiculous. I mean, they just... Um... I think after I think that they led at the end of one, at the end of two, it was tied 2-2. So, you know... You know, if you're Hillsborough, you know, you're going to the third inning and you're tied with somebody like uh, McLeod. You had to feel pretty good about that. Uh, just Here's some factoids about that game, though. McLeod, it was just the fifth time all season they didn't score at least 10 runs. So that was, what, their 20, 24th game? Yes. It, it was just the fifth time they didn't score at least 10 runs. It was also just the seventh time that they didn't shut out an opponent. And as you already mentioned, uh, just the 10th and 11th runs given up all year. Incidentally, that was not the first home run uh, given up by McLeod that hit by uh, Kirsten Kluver for Hillsborough. As a matter of fact, th- this is just another kind of just an oddity that that was, uh, from what I could gather from interacting with people on Twitter, maybe the third home run hit off McLeod this year. So they only given up 11 runs all year, but incredibly, they gave up three home runs. That is surprising that they would give up dingers like that when they're allowing so few runs, but it's it's pretty typical for what you see at softball, Brad. You get a team that's got some some decent, at least decent hitting and a dominant pitcher. Well, I tell you, you can you can go a long ways, if not all the way. And that I mean, I'm not going to say McLeod. Obviously, the way they score runs, they've got great hitters as well. But I tell you what, it's such a pitcher dominated sport. Yeah, it really is. And we saw that uh, with several, you know, with Wamigo and with the Latham Northwest. Uh, just a lot of the great teams have those top notch pitchers. Uh, Santa Fe Trail, another good example, Rossville, uh, Silver Lakes, several years. Uh, all, all of them usually just kind of get hot, ride that one pitcher, and boom. And, and it's so unlike that at baseball, Brad, due to the pitch count rules, um, especially at the 2 1A level, it seems like. Uh, most of the years now this year um, Marion had been very fortunate they had most of their arms left so did Colgan Um, but a lot of those years you get to that championship game Brad you're seeing the number fours go at it and you know and I understand the reason for the pitch count rules but I, I still despise them because I get to the state championship Brad I want the ones going at it. I don't want the fours going at it. I want the number one. I want your best against their best. And I, I wish we could find some uh, way to modify those rules to where we can get those matchups. Yeah, it would be kind of fun uh, more than anything else. Um, uh, it just it kind of looks, uh, you know, we look at what uh, Gerstner did with uh, McPherson and, uh, you know, go, going with Johnny Bullpen in the first round, so he would have his two aces on, you know, available for the semifinals and the finals. Of course, not everybody's got that luxury, though. Yeah, so um, I'm sure that is going to continue to be talked about, um, but I, I, I don't see any, uh, I don't see any changes to those pitch count rules coming anytime soon. I just think they've. I don't know. They're so well established. I just don't think that you're going to see them change in anytime soon. No, and it takes a while to change these rules anyways. We're seeing with uh, a lot of other things going on with Keisha. Yeah, they've got they've got a lot going on. Let, let, let's just put it that way and probably um, leave it there. But boy, I would sure like I sure would like to see some uh, some changes so we could get some of those um better matchup so that's kind of the wrap-up of state baseball and softball uh for the first time brad i actually ventured out to the state track and field 
championships in Wichita there at Cessna Stadium. We went on Saturday this year when I got done with baseball on Friday. Uh, primarily, we had a, a great nephew and a real good family friend. Both were running both days of the track meet, um, but both were running a couple events on Saturday, uh, competing in Class 4A. That's uh, Blake Logan my great nephew's name. He ended up um, bringing home a couple of silvers. He silvered in the 3200 on Friday and then silver in the uh, mile on Saturday and then took sixth in the uh, half mile as well. And the reason, Brad, that he took second in the 1600 and the 3200 is because of a young man from Tonganoxie named <laughs> Eli Gilmore. He was Did in he all four of those races did he do something special he uh yeah for people who don't know um he's a senior at tonganoxie he became the first boy to ever earn gold in four events in the same year's track and field state championships in kansas that is he's the first boy to ever do that and unfortunately for my great nephew blake he was in uh all three of those races uh Eli also ran, and Eli also ran the quarter and won that. So I guess the good news is Blake is just a junior. Eli is a senior, so I, uh, he's got a great chance next year, Brad, to, to, to bring home some gold. But he he pushed him. Um, Eli ran personal records, I believe, in both of those races where Blake got second. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting deal with that kid from Tonganoxie. When you're, well, first of all, when you're finishing second to him, that's pretty special. Uh, I think he was also, if I'm not mistaken, Scott, the first male and only the third person ever to win the 400, the 800, the 1600, and the 3200, one of them being Jackie Styles. Yes, I saw that, and I believe, I want to double check on this, uh, I think it was also, um, did you see the young lady from Stanton County? I did. The Chesney Chesney Peterson did not did she not win four golds this year, and just become the second girl along with um, Jackie Styles to do that because I got to see a couple of her races as well. Boy, I tell you what, uh, <laughs> they're they're wanting her to try out for the Olympics. Yeah, that that's it. In Stanton County. I mean, my goodness, um, you know, a, a small tiny Western Kansas community right on the Colorado border, and the what they have done in distance running and track. Um, and cross country, obviously, too, is just, I mean, they've been going on some 25, 30 years, if not more, of just remarkable uh, distance runners. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I think the meet that I, uh, the race that I saw her run was the mile. And I, I made a, a point of this, Brad. She not only set a, a record and had the best time in 2A, Brad, she had the best time at the track meet in the mile class wow. one through six a I, I made sure i think the closest was either five or six a and they were still somewhere in the neighborhood of three seconds or so behind her time wow that's that that's absolutely remarkable <laughs> she was you, you could just tell i mean she just left the field in the dust it was it was incredible to watch some of these athletes we saw some of the Ones from uh, Little River had, had had a very good meet in Class 1A. We saw a couple of the Sterling girls um, do well. Of course, unfortunately, uh, the girl from Sterling was in the race with, of course, Chesney Peterson in Class 2A from Stanton County. But it was it's amazing to watch, Brad. They are so well organized. I mean, when one race is crossing the finish line, the others are getting into their lanes and getting ready to start the next race. I mean, it's it's amazing the the way they they run these events at the track meet yeah we we make fun of uh Keisha and call out Keisha for a lot of stuff and you know justifiably so but i'll tell you one thing that they get spot on is the all-class state track meet at wichita yeah it it was it was fun to go now um i i got my walking in i think i parked about two and a half miles from the stadium or something like that to, to get there <laughs> I, I i there was nothing in the parking lots available we parks on some side street um as close as we could get i mean that that's i guess maybe the one negative there are just i don't know how many thousands of people they they believe come in and out on that uh, 
Friday and Saturday, but it's uh, pretty incredible. And it also now is a two-year renovation project on Cessna Stadium. If I remember correctly, they're going to, I believe this year, they're tearing down the East Stands, and I think that's they're going to redo the track and the infield this year, and it'll be ready for WSU and the, the 2024 state track meet and then right after the 2024 state track meet they're going to take down the press box and the stands on the west side and i think some of the parking area and redo all that um, where they won't miss any seasons um, with the renovation project it's long overdue at cessna stadium being very curious to see how that works out sure there's gonna be a lot of wasp nests that are going to be taken down uh, when they demolish these uh these structures yeah, it. I was in the press box back, and I want to say this was two thousand. It was either two thousand and five or two thousand and six for a, actually a Tabor um, national playoff game in football, and it was old and run down then. The yep. press box itself was, um, of course, used sporadically for track meets and stuff. Of course, used to be for football um, when WSU played there had a team on a regular basis years back but it's 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 long overdue and i i think done right i think it'll turn out i think it'll turn out really nice yeah i think so too i i, I think they'll get it right uh probably reduce the capacity a little bit uh but it's um it's something that's long overdue it's something that's much needed and uh i i hope that they do it right i do as well i i the only thing I was curious, I've seen the plans. I, I'm curious on the infield because they want to have this to where they can still use it for soccer, still use it for football if they want to for high school um, football, if possibly if they will go back with natural grass or if they will go with turf. My one thought on turf is for the track state track meet, Brad, it can be awful hot sometimes. Yep that time of year and that you, we all know that turf raises the temperature five to 10 degrees would be the one negative to doing that. So I'm going to be curious to see if they go back with a natural surface. Yeah. You're not going to have too many athletes uh, being happy to, to warm up on the track or to stay out on the track, especially those who have to run multiple events and, you know, don't really have time to, to leave the infield. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing they'll go back with that in mind to a natural surface, but um, I don't know that either but if you do get ever get a chance if you've never been out there it's 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 worth going at least once and seeing um the state track and field championships it's quite quite worth the trip so let's uh we'll bounce around a little bit now brad um not a lot uh, to talk about about the royals out of the ordinary they just lost tonight 6-1 to miami i believe that makes them 18 and 43 um, already in the news, it uh, looks like Araldis Chapman, um, not a surprise at all, is out on the trade block. You know, they picked up the disgruntled flamethrower from the Yankees. Actually, was had some pretty good numbers. His ERA was in the upper twos, um, pretty good strikeout um, ratio, but it looks like he's going on the trade block um, immediately to contenders. So what do you think about that? I got it. I mean, <laughs> you you can probably get some pretty good value for him. I'm guessing. I mean, there's going to be someone that, uh, contender that can use a guy who throws as hard as he does, if not for closing purposes, and definitely for seventh or eighth inning potentially. But I don't know. I mean, if anyone's going to botch it, be the Royals. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think they'll get some pretty good offers for him. I, I think he can be. Um, a valuable piece for a contender that needs somebody that can just come in, maybe get an out or two um, here and there. So I'll, I'll be curious. I mean, it's going to be draft stock, um, you know, that they will get for him. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. And we'll, of course, track their movements as we get closer to the major trade trade deadline. We know there can certainly be, uh, more players moving on. Um, there was an, another nice, uh, I guess it was memory that came up. Um, and you'll probably remember this. Do you remember what happened back on June 5th of 1989 in Royals history? June 5th of 89. Well, that was about a month before the All-Star game where Bo Jackson won. 
uh, MVP. Uh, no, I'm drawing a blank. Well, this would also involve the aforementioned Bo Jackson. It's uh, one of his most famous plays, one of my fa- most favorite. Oh, is this the Harold Reynolds play? This is the Harold Reynolds play. It was uh, back in 1989 on June 5th. Okay, wow. Yeah, well, uh, you know what's really funny about that play, Scott, is the Mariners never really argued that Reynolds was safer out. They argue that there's no umpire at the plate to make the call. <laughs> yeah, the umpires, they 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 didn't rotate like they thought there was a possible play at the plate. And so the only umpire was, I think, halfway down the third baseline. Yeah, it was a home plate umpire went out to go for a potential play at third base. And so, the, you know, I think then the natural rotation is the first base umpire to come home. Uh, but no one came home. And, and, and again, I think the argument the whole time was wasn't because he was out. I mean, there, there's I mean, if, if they had challenged that play or whatever with modern technology, it wouldn't it would not have been a very long look. Uh, but, yeah, they uh, they they were they they didn't really argue as much as how can you make that call from way back there? <laughs> yeah, that, that was their main complaint, because clearly uh, Bob Boone tags the foot of Harold Reynolds as he's he's going by there's no better perspective than Harold Reynolds if you ever hear him tell the story it's hilarious because he's a funny guy anyhow Um, but it is hilarious and I actually I had the privilege of uh, visiting several times with uh, longtime Royals radio announcer um, Fred White he was actually on the call on the radio of that game and he he just he just would shake his head. He said it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, because Bo had one foot on the warning track when he caught that ball that caromed off the wall and he just barehanded and turned and fired. And it wasn't like this one hopped or two hopped in there. This was on the fly. Yeah. I mean, clear from the warning track to Bob Boone, who was maybe a couple, three feet up the third baseline to make the catch and the tag. But it, it, is there, was there, is there anybody else that could make that throw then or now? Oh, no, no, absolutely not, especially with that accuracy. And, and that's the thing. That, that's what makes it so amazing. He made it look so routine, which he could do, and nobody else could do it, not even on their best day. And Bo could, you know, most of the time it wasn't going to be that accurate. Let's, let's put it that way. But that one was, yeah, that, that, was, that one just sticks in my head all I will always love that as one of my all-time best Royals memories. Yeah, it was certainly, uh, and uh, obviously it turned out to be a pretty good uh, year for Bo, but yeah, that is just, um, people who don't understand the legend of Bo Jackson uh, just need to watch that play just to understand how great he was. Yeah, um, and well, that may be another good summer topic to to, to get into as far as uh, best athletes of all time um, to play professional sports because Bo would certainly be on a very, very short list. Um, you know, a guy, a guy that plays in the pro bowl and the MLB all-star game in the same calendar year. I mean, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just, uh, we, we're not going to see anything like that again. I mean, contracts are too expensive and these players are too valuable commodities, but, uh, and unfortunately for Bo and for fans, it was uh, a short-lived <laughs> ride. But uh, but boy, what a ride it was! Yes, it was. It was way very very much uh, too short for all of his fans. Uh, of course, the uh, NBA playoffs there to the championship. Brad, and the last time we talked, uh, Miami was just about getting ready to sweep Boston. Well, that series got way more interesting than most people thought as Boston tried to become. I believe they would have been the first team to ever um, overcome a 3-0 deficit um, in a conference championship series. They got it to 3-3, and they were on their home floor. Uh, But Miami was able to pull away in that Game 7 in Boston and move on. And right now, um, they're tied 1-1 in the championship series with Denver. They stole the second game in Denver, now back in Miami. I know you said you followed the playoffs a little bit this year. Uh, what do you think? Denver, Miami, Miami, the eight seed Denver setting there. Uh, let's see what Den- Denver was the one seed in the West, weren't they? Yeah. Yep. Well, 
you think we're seeing an eight seed that's going to pull it off? You know, I do think that Miami is just – it's just the, the quintessential underdog who's just got fire and they just – I mean, they're shooting lights out, it seems like, every night. I do think that the Nuggets are still going to win this series. At first, I thought four or five. Now I'm kind of leaning toward maybe six, possibly even seven. I mean, you know, can can Miami shoot this well the entire series? Well, I mean, they've been kind of doing it for about the last, what, six weeks or so. Uh, I do think that Denver will still win it, though. Well, I, w- I would have said that if they started 2-0, but being 1-1, the way Miami has played in the playoffs, I, I certainly foresee this going 7. Whew, I probably still – I'm still convinced Denver's got the better team of the two. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a nail-biter. I mean, I think what Denver's got going for them, obviously, is, is home court. If there was a game 7, they would have it. But um, I think it's going to be a lot closer initially than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think that will, you know, what we're going to see is, um, you know, as easily as Denver won the first game. I mean, Miami just showed that they're not, they're not going to go away. I mean, it's it's going to be a competitive series. And Miami, they have, no stranger to them. They had to play in the play-in round just to get into the final eight, and now they're in the championships. <laughs> I think I'm kind of rooting for Denver too, since they this is their first ever finals appearance. I think I'd kind of like to see them. Um, take home the hardware for the first time ever in their history. It's always kind of neat to see a new team in there. Uh, Speaking of new teams, Brad, the latest expansion talks seem to be heating up um, in the big 12 where they had their um, one of their annual meetings that they have. And this, this is interesting. A new team kind of brought into contact. And I believe this would also be a basketball only edition. But we, of course, Gonzaga has been out there now for a couple, three months at least. UConn has now entered that discussion as a possibility of joining the Big 12. Now, I haven't seen this for sure. I believe that those would be both. We know Gonzaga would be basketball um, only, obviously, don't even have football. But um, UConn, I'm curious if that would be. Uh, for basketball or for everything? Well, I mean, they're they're probably looking at what the Big 12 is expanding to with West Virginia and Cincinnati and Central Florida, and they may be thinking, you know, that's that's a significant amount of schools for us uh, out east that where we can maybe make this work. So uh, I think some of these schools are starting to recognize maybe the value of basketball. And I think, you know, look, Gonzaga, I, I think they have to join a major conference, uh, even if it's just for basketball only. Um, and Mark Few has always done a pretty good job of scheduling non-conference pretty tough, but you also don't want two months of cupcakes before you get into the biggest part of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, I'm, I, I mean, my, my, my thoughts of expansion and non-geographic conferences, I, I, I hate it. I, I don't like it. Um, but I guess if you're going to do it, I mean, Gonzaga would make great sense. I guess I would have to see what they're thinking of UConn. I have to think they're thinking of basketball only on them. Yeah, I would think so, too. Um, I guess if you were expanding, the, the two that make the most sense as full members, that has been mentioned to me, and I think one's gained a little more traction, again, is Colorado and Utah. Um they're closer. Of course, Colorado has been in the Big 12. I think this would be um, a great time for them to come back, especially with, um, I think, one of the main reasons they left is leaving is Texas after this next season. Um, I, I think those are the two I would like. If, if they're going to do it, I'd like to see Colorado and Utah. And I, I guess if you're going to go for broke, I think UConn and Gonzaga would be great members for basketball. Yeah, I think that Colorado, I think just I, I just never thought they really fit in the Pac-12. I think geographically uh, makes more sense for them to uh, to rejoin the Big 12. Wouldn't mind seeing Utah or maybe even the Arizonas uh, wouldn't be bad. Heck, even someone like New Mexico, I don't think would be a bad choice. No, not bad. I, I always thought SMU, if you're going to, you know, continue down in Texas, I thought would have been a good choice. SMU or um, obviously Houston is coming in now. Well, have you heard one of the biggest reasons why Colorado wants to join the Big 12? I do not. Deion Sanders wants that footprint in Texas. Okay. Um, And, you know, 
I think that's a good reason. <laughs> I mean, I can, yeah, no, I can't blame them. I I think that would be a good move all the way around for Colorado to get out of that out of the Pac-12, uh, back in the Big 12, and like you said, get a get a get a foothold back recruiting in Texas. I I, I I'm going to be curious to see what Dion can do. I mean, he obviously did wonders there for the HBCU um, schools in Jackson, uh, excuse me, Jackson State where he was at. Um, very curious to see what he's going to do with Colorado. Yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna do some different things. I think I think uh, you know anyone who thinks he's gonna be challenging for national championships in the next five years, I think are sorely mistaken. But I think at the same time, uh, he's already raised their profile. He has. I mean, he was going to. I mean, we're naive to think that all of a sudden Colorado is gonna be um, nine and three this next year and and be in a you know a mid to upper level bowl game, but I as down as they are and there's been a lot of shakeup there's been a lot of guys come in there's been a lot of guys leave since he got there and i think i think most of the time when you come into a program that's been losing like colorado has you're going to have a lot of people leave and sometimes that's a good thing you got to get um that maybe negative that losing atmosphere changed out get some new new recruits in there. And I, I think that, I think it's been a good thing already for Colorado. Yeah, it certainly seems so. Um, it, it, you know, it's not going to be built overnight, but uh, I, I, you know, I think uh, if Deion Sanders can, you know, get them up to four or five wins or maybe even sneak into a bowl game this year, I think that would be a, quite an accomplishment. It would. I mean, it would be almost like we were thinking of KU this last year. You know, we, we got our expectations way up when they started so hot falter down the stretch but ended up being in a bowl game and you and I both agreed if you told us they'd been 500 in a bowl game at the start of the season last year we would have been all in for that um and I think that would be yeah Colorado six and six in a bowl game I think everybody would take it yeah yeah no doubt about it so that's uh another one of the expansion rumors another thing that you can maybe clarify for this I I, I saw this on Facebook somewhere and and it must not be for this season as they just released the KU um, non-conference basketball opponents for this year and it's murderers row again as KU always seems to do they're going to Indiana they're hosting Yukon they're in the maybe the best ever Maui classic field I mean it's just loaded up and down but I saw something now or is it going to be in 2024 when they are going to play Wichita State? No, it's this, it's this coming season. It's okay. their, it's their, right now, it's just a one-off game at T-Mobile Center in KCMO, but I think they're hopeful that it grows into a three-game set with one game at T-Mobile, one game at Allen Fieldhouse, and one game at Entrust. Okay, now that that's what baffled me because when I was looking at this article with their non-conference schedule, they they didn't mention them, and that's I thought, well, maybe I I saw that incorrectly. But um, what do you think about that? I, I have I have a kind of unpopular opinion. I'll get to that. But I'll get, what, what do you think about them getting into even if it is just one game, but especially maybe a three-game set with WSU? You know, this is going to kind of sound snobby, and I understand that, Scott. <laughs> I'm I'm almost indifferent to it. I mean, great. I, I I'm fine with it. I, I'm I I was never saying I never said don't play Wichita State. I was always, hey, if you want to play, if we if we just want to schedule Wichita State, great, let's go for it. Um, this whole notion that oh Bill Self was ducking, no, he wasn't. I mean, come on, uh, he he plays the likes of Calipari and Shashevsky and Izzo. And, and the Maui, and he's, he goes to Ames every year. He goes to Bramlage. He goes to Gallagher. I, are you trying to tell me he's afraid of going to to the Roundhouse? I mean, come on, let's let, let, let's let's let, let's be fair about all this. Uh, but but honestly, Scott, I, is it good? Absolutely, it's good. Uh, I think it's it's going to be great. It's going to generate some excitement. Um, and and do, do I think it's like a necessary thing to do every year? Uh, not not really i mean if they end up doing it that way great uh sure go for it <laughs> well i a friend of mine he, he passed away a number of years ago um i think it's about the time where they uh they were both in the ncaa tournament at the same time when at wsu this would have been probably the 2006 season or something and he made the comment he says that he thought they should be playing every year 
And I really ticked him off because I said, KU has nothing to gain from doing that. Nothing. I mean, if, if, you, if you play even this three-game set, KU is expected to sweep and dominate. And if they don't, they're going to get criticized. And if they lose one of those games, they're going to get criticized. It's all 100% risk-free for WSU. The only thing they can they can get is 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 better out of the deal. I don't see, you know, and and this is kind of like you sound snobbish. Ku, I don't see any upside for them to do that other than um, a a good payday for WSU. Yeah, just kind of like Missouri. I mean, if they want to schedule Missouri again, hey, great. I that I think that's fine. It's just another non conference game. Uh, it's not just another non conference game. Yeah, I, I, I want to smoke Missouri, and, I, and I'm you know going to want to smoke Wichita State. But you know, I, I, I want to smoke everybody though. I want you know, I want I want to beat everybody. I I, I guess it's it's not that I'm a, it's not that I ever said they shouldn't play them. It's just it's just Scott. I was indifferent to it. If they want to, great. If they don't, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I, I would have certainly been indifferent. And like I said, I, it, it's hard for me to find the upside for KU to do it. I mean, that, that, that's my, my whole thing. And, and I know people criticize me and that's fine. Um, but I, there, there, there really isn't one that, that I see in, until, until Wichita state gets to the point where they are a, a perennial contender. And I'm not just talking about in the American athletic, I'm talking about nationally, to where they can stand toe to toe with KU, then 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 I'll change my opinion. But until that day comes and they can prove they can stay at that level, I d- there's not a huge upside for KU. Well, they got a huge upside with some of their non-conference games next year. I mean, like you said, the Maui and they got UConn, Missouri's coming back to Lawrence, Indiana. Uh, KU's making the trip to uh, to Bloomington. I mean, my goodness, they got some. Uh, uh, the Kentucky and the Champions Classic. I mean, they got some really good games coming up next year. Yeah, they're going to be well tested, and who knows as many guys coming in and out of that program. I don't know how many um, Uday ends up at. Uh, he's down at TCU now. Um, how, it's just this transfer pool is just, it's just crazy. KU is going to look completely different next year. Yeah, yeah, and that's still a three <laughs> starter. That's still that's still a three starters going back. Yeah, it's 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 just. It's the world we live in, and we can get into that another day, too, with the, the transfer portals just really turned college sports um, upside down. Um, one other bizarre story that I saw, uh, we, we talked a little bit about this, the PGA Tour and this um, LIV Tour that was a Saudi-backed tour that guys were defecting from the PGA Tour and being banned by the PGA Tour, LIV golfers were taking the tour to court. It was just getting ugly off in the court systems. And all of a sudden, Brad, there's an announcement that they have now merged into one entity. And most of the players on all the tours also involves what they call, I think, the, the world tour, or I might not have the right term, that they've merged all of these together and they're going to be performing all under one entity now it shocked the players they didn't even really know what was going on when this was announced and i'm just baffled because i mean they were really going at it in the court systems and now all of a sudden they're going to be all playing together uh, I, i'm, I'm going to be very fascinated to see how this actually does work and how the money gets divvied up between all these different organizations it it, it stunned me as well well i think uh great man by the name of mark mangina once said you know what that was about dollar signs oh absolutely i mean there's no doubt why they they did it they they decided hey i think instead of doing we're doing fighting let's let's figure out a way that we can all make a lot more money out of this deal yeah, i mean make I, a lot of money for sure yeah I, and like i said i don't know because the saudi back they had they had financed this liv for with some huge purses it's hard to believe they're going to give up too much control um but you know that that's what makes me think how is this going to work with organizations that are both being very used to being in 100 percent control now going to have to give up some of that yeah it will be a fun time to be a lawyer and try to hammer all this out (laughs) yeah they're also um 
going to be earning their bucks as well for this. But I, I just thought that was, I said, yeah, I saw some of the, the tweets and stuff of golfers. They're like, what the heck? What? What's going on? Now we're together? I mean, I think it's official starting in 2024. Um, and there's going to have to be these LIV golfers are going to have to go back through um, members, the whole process of being a member of the PGA Tour and all that entails. And um, I think there's going to be a whole lot of red tape going on to, to get this all together. But I'm, I'm sure, like you said, if there's enough money, they'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it's probably best for the sport and for the fans to have these two tours together. So, yeah, just monopolize it all. And um, and I think that's what the whole LIV thing. Oh, you're monopolizing. Well, now you're part of the monopoly. Yeah. They just uh, you can't beat them, join them, I guess. So. Um, so they did. And we'll be fascinated to see how that all works out. Well, that is the gist of our regular topic, so we can move on to your final thoughts. Well, Scott, who would you say the most hated high school in, in Kansas ha- uh, athletics is? Who is the most hated? Oh, well, I've got a couple on my list. Um, oh, give me a little hint on that one. I went there. Oh, is it Miege? <laughs> I mean, w- w- would you probably say that Miege is probably the most hated high school when it comes to Kansas high school athletics? It, it probably pretty close. So you're probably going to allude to their seventh straight women's soccer championship. No, I'm actually, which yes, was nice and all, but no, I don't know if you saw this or not. Did you see what happened for the Andale boys to win the state track team championship? Uh, I guess I did not. Okay. So Andale had, I think, a seven and a half point lead going into the four by four, which is the final meet at the uh, at a track meet is the four by four. Andale didn't have an entry in the in the four by four. However, Lewisburg did. And Lewisburg was seven and a, was the team that was seven and a half points behind. So basically what happened or what would happen is if Lewisburg finished third or better in the four by four. Lewisburg would win the team state championship and Andale would get second. So again, Andale, Andale's not competing. They, they, they can do nothing about this. Guess who caught Lewisburg at the last hundred meters to get third place, to move Lewisburg to fourth and to give Andale the state championship. I'm going to have to guess it was Bishop Miege. It was Bishop Miege. And there's some great video out there of the last 50 meters or so when the Miege anchor had, I don't want to say that it was obvious he was going to win, but it looked pretty good like he was going to win. And then the, the camera just kind of pans with the, the Miege runner to the finish line. And the last 20 meters, you can see the infield and all the Andale athletes are, they're not just like, you know, pumping, the, they're, they're going crazy. <laughs> they're just going wild. And what was even better is when Andale got their championship medals, they took a photo of with the four by four team from Miege. <laughs> and I kind of, and that was kind of my first instinct was to laugh too. But I started thinking, it's like you know what, it's there. It's all about competition. And while while Andale, uh, I mean not Andale, but while Miege definitely has a well earned reputation for probably the most hated athletic department in the state of Kansas, um, you know these Andale Andale kids, Beeler kids, whatever it is you want to say, they just want to compete. Um, I think deep down they all know it's not Miege's fault uh, that they're in four and that they win all these state championships, and it's not the competitors' fault. But uh, I just thought it was just a really cool gesture, not only seeing how excited Andale was, but for their boys team to go get the Miege, get four by four guys and take a t- and take a group photo with them, essentially making four Miege guys honorary state champions, honorary Andale Indians, even if it was for just a few seconds. No, uh, that's uh, that's actually kind of cool that they ended up doing that, knowing that that's what had to happen for them to end up winning the team that they go ahead and enjoy that moment with, with me age. That's, that's pretty cool. Actually. Incidentally though, another one, one of the schools, I think it's probably safe to say that one of the communities that probably dislikes me age more than any is probably Andale. Um, I think you probably throw McPherson in there. You probably throw Beeler in there. 
Incidentally, maybe one that probably dislikes me age the most is Lewisburg. The, yeah. school, the school that ended up just a half point behind Andale because Miege got him at the end. Um, yeah, that's only going to increase their um, love of Miege. If you're <laughs> oh, that that's good. That is uh, one of many good stories. Um, I probably could have had it for a final thought. Did Did you see any of the? the we actually got to see the um, the wheelchair quarter mile race. Um, those are fascinating i tell you the the young man he's three-time uh state champion in that event goodness i mean he flies around that track it was amazing to watch those races yeah i i saw that they had the um uh the wheelchair race i think they had 100 in the open uh so yeah i i think it's awesome to to see those wheelchair events down there and I, I think this is the I think he has a national record as well on that event. I mean, it, it was, I mean, when he got going, I mean, he just left the pack in the dust and he, I mean, he's, he was flying around the track. It was pretty amazing. Uh, my final thoughts, we're going to go back to baseball, Brad. And I don't know if you saw this story, but this is going to be a, a real life lesson out of this game. It was a, a, a state championship game in New Jersey. Aha, uh-huh. I think I know what it is. Between, uh, if I hopefully I pronounce this right, Pacmira, Macedon, and Homel. Um, Pacmira, Macedon was uh, trailing five to four in the final inning. They had two outs, they had runners at second and third. And there is a dropped strike three by the catcher. Now, with a third out of an inning or if a base is unoccupied and you drop a third strike, you either have to tag the runner or throw down to first base to complete the strikeout. Well, if you watch the video of this, the kid drops it. He, you can see the catcher picks it up. He tries to tag. The, the batter takes off towards first. He tries to tag him. The umpire stands there, does not make any call to the effect of, you know, he's out or anything. The rest of the infield is starting to mob the mound. So the catcher goes and joins into the celebration. Well, meanwhile, the runners from second and third start running. They cross the plate. The umpire rules that the batter was never tagged. The play continued and that both runs scored and Pacmira Macedon wins the state title. The umpires get together. They uphold the call. So during the celebration, unquote, unquote, celebration, Homel goes from thinking they won to a, an unheard of type of defeat. It, it's bizarre to watch the video and the reaction of the kids when they start realizing and there was only one kid out there. He, he was he was yelling. There's still just two outs. There's still just two outs, and nobody was paying attention to him um, to be able to get the ball to try to make a, a play at the plate. By the time they realize it, it's too late. It was just bizarre. And you talk about a I've never heard of this. What a brutal way to lose a state championship. And boy, that's going to be a life lesson for these young men. Yeah, I kind of recall a. Uh incident out in uh i can't remember what year it was uh where hutchinson community college went out and played i think it was neosho county in the first round of the region six playoffs best of three and they split the first two games and then rains came and they ended up having to play the third game over in fort scott and neosho in the bottom of the eighth inning of, of a tie game there's a runner at third base and one out and their batter hits a stratospheric pop-up over by the Neosho dugout. The first baseman runs over, the pitcher runs over, the catcher runs over. <laughs> first baseman makes the catch. There's nobody covering home. That kid from Neosho just tagged third and just jogged his way home, I heard, because there's nobody there. And, uh, yeah, just tough lessons learned all around. Sometimes uh, got to record the out, got to cover the bases. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you just get caught up in the moments in those in, in those moments. And I will say, and I, and I think rightfully so, I think the umpire sh- from the video I've seen should have been a little bit more um, emphatic about 
no, he was not tagged. This play is still going. He just kind of stood there, didn't make any kind of really signal at all. I, I, I not saying I do not blame the umpire um, for this. The 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 kid should have realized, hey, I still got to throw down. He did. I did. He did not say he's out or anything. Um, instead of going out to the mound, I did, I wish he would have been a little more emphatic about no, you didn't tag him. Um, but again, that, that that's going to be a tough one. I, I cannot imagine losing a, a state championship game, really any game, but let alone a state title game in in that fashion. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's that's definitely tough. I saw another softball game state state championship game where uh a bunt with uh one out happened and they throw the first wild drill safe run rounding third thrown out at home drill uh, the batter tries to go second she's thrown out so they think okay we're going to another inning one little problem obstruction at third base run mm-hmm. scores <laughs> game game's over state's over uh those are those are tough tough ways to learn hopefully um young men on that Pac-Mira Macedon team will um, find some good out of this um, once the once the sting from that loss will eventually will wear off so again um, we will be back with you this summer probably not as quite as regular with not as much going on but we'll have some interesting um, discussions we'll talk about the private versus public schools and we'll find some other fun ones we'll keep up with the Royals and everything else that is going on. But for tonight's view from the press box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you later.